On the last night of our, uh, our retreat, we like to do something a little bit different, which is uh, usually there's a just plain Q&A period. And tonight, though, I decided I'd like to give a short talk uh, and then make sure it's short and then make, and leave some space for questions and answers, just Q&A, open things up a little bit as a way of kind of starting to come back you know, from where you've been to the real world of speech, speaking. So tonight, I'd like to talk about working with the energy of fear. Like a pretty relevant topic. I don't mind saying so myself. Throughout the retreat, we've been emphasizing, talking about the here and now and what that means and of course, what we mean by that is here and now. That means working with the conditions of the here and now. You know, you're sitting right now. Those are the conditions. You get up. You go into the dining room. Those are the conditions. So we're working with the conditions, whether they're external, you know, adapting to the retreat center, living together, all the things that come up around that, but also the internal conditions. And on a silent retreat, we become extremely intimate, uh, maybe too intimate. Uh, with the internal conditions of our minds and our bodies. Okay, the changing mental states, emotions, moods, the changing physical sensations, the discomfort, the pleasure, the breathing. Because those are all condition experience. Those are all in a process, of course, of changing. And we've also talked a lot about the fact that practice is not just being aware of the conditions that you're in. You know, being in the here and now, is connect, you're connected to the conditions that you're in, connected to your body, your thoughts, but also being mindful of one's reaction to those conditions. And more and more practice. As practice gets a little bit easier, one begins to become more aware of the external conditions that you're in. People become more aware of where they're at. There's not like a half-hour gap necessarily when you walk out of the meditation room. You know, you pretty much start staying in your body a little bit more. You know what room you're in. You're there's a connection um, to what's happening outside of you, but also as practice develops, you become much more aware of the conditions inside you. You begin to recognize states of mind earlier and quicker. You, know, you begin to be able to follow the breathing or rest there for a little bit longer or for more, frequent, uh, more frequently. And so you get, uh, there's a sense of connecting to your environment, connecting to your conditions. And that's, 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 that's a, a good thing. You know, there's some energy that starts coming out of, of, of that relationship that we begin to develop with where we're at. But a big part of the practice is working with your reactions to those conditions. You know, we've talked a lot about cultivating uh, a, a mind that's more allowing, you know, allowing of the conditions, but also becoming more allowing of even the reactions that you have to those conditions. And of course, most people, when they come in for an interview or they talk about their practice, that's oftentimes what people are reporting, is reactions to the conditions that they're facing. And once again, those could be the external conditions of retreat life, or they could be the internal conditions of their emotional life or physical discomfort in the body. And so practice, uh, a big part of practice, and as practice matures, that's really where a lot of your focus of your attention will go, is towards the reaction trying to be more mindful of your reaction, because one begins to recognize that that's where the suffering is. 
That's where the suffering is, and that's where the letting go of the suffering is. Because when we can begin to be mindful of our reactions, we gradually begin to let go of those conditioned reactions. And we begin to taste freedom. One energy that I feel has been a big part of my life and a big part of my practice, and one that I feel requires a lot of attention, and one that one should pay attention to, which is this energy of fear. If one is going to relate to the here and now, one is going to have to learn how to relate to fear. I think it's simply that. The fact is, uh, fear is an extremely common, let's just say very, very common experience. In fact, it arises a lot, a lot, period, and a lot more than we even recognize. Let me just, um, let me just go through a, kind of a short list of some common fears. What are, the thing, what are the many, many things that we're afraid of? Uh, well, certainly we can be afraid of being hurt, some of the big fears, fear of illness. I spoke about that in my own work with uh, just the common flu, which is really not that big of a deal, but still fear arise. Uh, fear of aging and fear of death, of course, are the big ones. One thing that we confront a lot on retreat is fear of pain. We experience pain, whether it's physical or emotional, and fear and anxiety arises, you know, fear that it's going to get worse, or fear that you're going to hurt yourself, uh, fear that it's going to be, uh, this, that the whole retreat is going to be about your knee pain. Um, so fear of pain arises. Then we get into what I call social fears, which are innumerable, innumerable. There is fear of separation and loss, fear of being alone, fear of being with somebody, Fear of intimacy, in other words. Fear of being seen. Fear of criticism. Even a fear of praise. There's self-consciousness. Self-consciousness. There's self-doubt. These are all fears. There's fear of change. I talked a lot about impermanence. Didn't talk much about the fact that it's also pretty scary. Uh, that things are changing all the time, and quite unpredictably. That can be a very scary thing, for sure. And that ties into the fear of the unknown. That's a big one, I think, fear of the unknown. A lot of our planning mind comes from that place of being afraid of what's coming next, wanting to plan it out. There's fear of failure. Fear of failure. Fear of success. There's about fear about everything, actually. (laughs) And I think we have most of them, actually, uh, at one time or another. Uh, obviously, people are different, though. There's fear of uh, speaking in public or talking in groups. You know, we run into that in group interviews all the time. And you can kind of sense it in people sometimes as their turn comes. You see the fidgeting and the, and the nervousness or the tightening. And, and, of course, that's fear and anxiety. And a lot of times we're not aware of it. Other times we are. Well, given how often fear arises, 
to me, it's, a, it's still a little bit surprising just how little we understand about the nature of fear. You know, there are so many opportunities to understand it, and yet so few of us really understand the nature of fear. So what are the things that we can maybe agree on? Or what, what are the kinds of things that we know about fear? Well, one thing we know, we might not always be conscious of this, but if we think about it, we'd know this, that fear arises under certain conditions. Right? That energy of fear isn't always there. Maybe sometimes it feels that way. Uh, but fear isn't always there. It arises under certain conditions. And, of course, it arises for some people. people certain people will thrive under certain conditions. Other people are terrified of those conditions. And so it, it's subjective that way, depending on your conditioning. But generally speaking, we can say pretty safely say that fear arises under uh, certain conditions. And those conditions can be external and internal. Okay? And external... The world, the world that we're living in. Okay? It's one thing that I think most of us can pretty much be comfortable in acknowledging now is that in the current conditions of things, there's a lot of fear. You know, there's a lot going on out there. Still is a lot going on out there. And there's a lot of fear that's coming up. You know, and, and really, in some ways, people are really acknowledging that. Really, really hyper aware of the fact that there's fear. Of course, what they're doing with that fear is often not skillful, but I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> uh, this fear of the internal, you know, which is something that we see on retreats, and, and uh, this can be extremely intense. In other words, we begin to feel certain physical sensations in the body, and we get frightened. We also experience mental states. You know, some very strong mental states become very vivid uh, in sitting practice. You know, things begin. Uh, you know, in this space of concentration and over and over again trying to pay attention, it, it, it creates space in the mind. And that allows, of course, fear to begin to surface. It also allows different mental states, whatever they are, to uh, our history, our conditioning comes to the surface. Memories, past experiences all come up. And it can be pretty scary, and it can be pretty overwhelming. It can be really terrifying and panicking for a lot of folks. In fact, most people at some point or another in their practice will hit that place where it's really, really scary what you're looking at. So it arises under certain conditions. What else could we agree about fear? One thing we could agree about, I think, is that it's painful. The energy of fear is unpleasant. It's unpleasant physically. If we went through... All of us, I think, if we just sat here and just kind of silently went through the list of what, how fear expresses itself in the body, there's probably five to six to seven to eight places in the body that you could say, well, that's where I experience fear. And the nature of those sensations usually aren't pleasant. Okay? It's, it's contraction. It's tightness. You know, breathing, face, the stomach, the hands sweat, heart beats fast, doesn't feel comfortable. Those are unpleasant physical sensations. It's painful emotionally. It, the kinds of thoughts that come up in fear are thoughts of powerlessness, of vulnerability, not being in control, being limited, being contracted, doubting, worried. You know, those kind of thoughts are extremely painful sometimes. And we're aware of that pain. So fear has a painful quality to it. <coughs> And so because 
fear is painful. Well, naturally, we react to that pain with aversion. Okay? And the Buddha was really clear about that. There's a tendency of the mind to cling. The mind is conditioned to cling to the pleasant and to contract or to push away aversion. You know, to push away pain, rather. And that's, of course, aversion. Okay? Pushing away, contracting, tightening up around pain. And so there's that reactivity towards fear. We contract around it. Fear throws us out of balance. These are all sort of aversive reactions. Uh, we have a desire to avoid conditions. Okay? You're afraid to speak in a group, and so you spend half your life avoiding that. You know, whenever, whenever you can get out of it, you get out of it. You know, you're quiet around people or in a group or in a social situation. You're quiet, but then sometimes you get put on the spot and you just kind of barely get through it. Uh, and then you just kind of hope that you don't get confronted with that again. That's aversion to fear. That's not wanting to experience that energy of fear. It's unpleasant. We certainly tend to judge fear as bad. It's a bad experience. We get impatient with it. There's a lot of, uh, well, what I'll get to in a second, self-condemning around fear. You know, if we experience a lot of anxiety, so often people get down on themselves because of the, the level of anxiety that they experience or because of particular fears and knowing how they're limited and so there's a lot of judging of that. Okay, so there's that, that contraction. Uh, there's another aversive reaction, which is we disconnect from the energy of fear. You know, if we're feeling particularly self-conscious, a lot of times we just disconnect from the body. You know, if we're afraid of something, we numb out. You know, we kind of leave our bodies behind. We create some kind of wall or distance between us and them as a defense to protect ourselves. Now we get into an area which maybe we don't, wouldn't all agree on, but I'm going to just put this out because I think uh, this is particularly true of the energy of fear and why it's very difficult to begin to practice with this energy of fear, to really apply the awareness practice to fear and why so often we, uh, our practices skirt this energy. Uh, we don't look at it. We don't open to it. it. It happens so often. It's amazing to me that we can practice year in and year out, year in and year out, and never really confront our fears and never begin to really investigate them in an open way because we experience it so often. You know? And if you're in the here and now, if you're being present, well, you're definitely going to have to see your fear. Uh, so we can become very good at avoiding our fears in a lot of different ways. But certainly what makes it, I think, difficult, not just that it's unpleasant, but there's a strong tendency to identify with fear to take it as me or mine. This is me who's experiencing the fear. This is my fear. This is who I am. That identification with fear shows up in a lot of different ways for people. And why fear is often the biggest kind of secret you know, that we keep, that we're afraid, or, or within society. We, we conceal fear. We hide it. Why do we hide it? We, don't hide, we hide it not just because it's unpleasant, but we hide it because we identify with it. We experience often a lot of shame around fear. You know, we experience a sense of embarrassment sometimes by fear. You know, certainly I have been embarrassed by some of my fears. You know, I, I'm kind of afraid of dogs. And, you know, dogs I don't know. Kind of, you know dogs I know, they're okay. Um, but, you know, if I come across a dog, my first reaction is fear. And sometimes I just, I get, you know, 
thank God nobody can read my mind uh, because a lot of people would just think it, uh, in that particular situation anyways, it's pretty silly. And it, it could even be a little dog maybe too. Uh, like that little beagle down the street. <laughs> I know that dog so well, but today he came running up to me, and what do I experience but a little, little fear? And I know he's not going to bite. You know? It doesn't matter. It's just a conditioned reaction. It's, it's simply a conditioned reaction. But there's a little bit of embarrassment. There's a little bit of shame around that feeling. A sense of, you know, I shouldn't have that experience. I shouldn't be afraid of that. I should be past that. God knows I'm you know, sad enough or whatever. I should be done with this. But uh, clearly, it comes up. And there's also a tendency to be resigned to our fears. You know, to me, that points to the fact that we identify with that energy. You know, we, we get resigned to it. We accept the limits of fear. And to me, resignation is different than allowing the energy of fear, which I'm getting to in a minute, which is where practice goes. Resignation is a little bit different. It's kind of a, a, a resigned feeling, a feeling like it's really a, a solid doubt. You know, you've kind of made a decision. You're stuck with this, and it can't change. And so you're going to live with it. And a lot of times we do relate to fear that way. So we talk a lot about the power of mindfulness in this practice. And certainly one of the powers of mindfulness is this uh, mindfulness, I'm sure you know this by now, but I'll tell tell you again, it's non-judgmental attention. In other words, it's loving attention. When I say non-judgmental, I mean non-criticizing, non-commenting. It's simply open and loving attention to whatever your experience is. That's its quality. The power of that is that increases our ability to allow an experience to be what it is. We, just, we don't have to actually try to allow the experience to be what it is. If we try to be mindful, we begin to allow for the experience. Mindfulness just meets the experience without any criticism or judgment at all. It just knows it in an open-hearted way. That's that form of intelligence that we talk about. We need to begin to apply that intelligence, that openness, to the energy, of course, of fear. While in a lot of ways working with fear, learning to respond with some wisdom and compassion, which is where we want to go, it's a difficult practice. I mean, it is our practice, but it's difficult. But in many, many ways, I think, in fact, in every way, it's more difficult not working with the energy of fear, but just living with it and avoiding and denying and pushing it away and not, and not recognizing it, not acknowledging it, and being ashamed or embarrassed about it or hiding it or all the stuff that we do around fear, that complicated world that we construct around it is so much more painful and there's so much more suffering in that than if we consciously take up the energy of fear in our practice. And really the first step in doing that is to begin to, is of course being mindful, but to go a little step further, not just being mindful of it, but acknowledging it, that you're experiencing it. You know, acknowledging it to yourself. You know, sometimes it's helpful to acknowledge it to somebody else. But a lot of times we just simply have to acknowledge that we're feeling anxious. 
that we're worried, that we're nervous, that we're feeling self-conscious, and simply to acknowledge that experience. See, a lot of us, we're actually afraid to acknowledge this experience because we think if we admit it that we're experiencing this. This is often unconscious. We think if we admit it, even to ourselves, it's going to be worse. We're going to be in even more trouble. We're going to be more powerless. And quite the opposite begins to happen. Quite the opposite begins to happen. By beginning to acknowledge it, the power of mindfulness, open, noting, acknowledging, ah, fear is in me. Just by that step of acknowledging fear, you could take that as a practice sometime. Spend one day of your life with the commitment to acknowledge fear every time it comes up. That's your only practice that day, is to acknowledge, ah, I'm feeling nervous, ah, I'm feeling worried, ah, I'm feeling doubt, oh, I'm worried about what's going to happen next, I'm nervous about this, this person scares me. Whatever, the, whatever fears arise, if we could just simply acknowledge it and register each time it arises, one thing we would probably notice, if we took that as a practice, is that we experience fear more than we thought we did. But secondly, what begins to happen is it, be, it, it gets to be a little bit more workable because now it's coming into consciousness. Now it's coming into the field of awareness. We're beginning to invite it in. We're beginning to invite that energy in our life. So now what we're beginning to do is live life with more wholeness. Instead of pushing away all these experiences and telling ourselves stuff, now we're letting that unpleasant energy come up. We're beginning to acknowledge it. Certainly that's the first step and one of the most important steps that we can do in terms of working with fear in a more mindful, meditative way. It takes a great deal of wisdom, though, to work with fear. It takes a great deal of wisdom to work with fear. First step is certainly to begin to acknowledge it, but even acknowledging it isn't enough. You know, it's kind of like acknowledging pain or acknowledging your suffering or acknowledging the suffering in the world. It, it's really not enough. I mean, it helps, for sure. I mean, it helps let that truth in, and it, that's important. But then what do you do with that truth? You know, how to work with that truth so that whatever suffering you're facing, whatever the conditions are, they can become, then become a vehicle for liberation. And fear can become a vehicle for liberation. The energy of fear, the unpleasantness of that fear, the identification with it, all of that can become a, liberate, a, a liberating energy. But we need to work with it wisely. And we need to build on the practice that we're doing here, right in this hall, right now. We want to build on our Vipassana practice. We want to use our practice. We want to use the tools, even the specific tools that we use in formal meditation. We want to begin to use those tools and apply them to the energy of fear. Remember in the first three days, we use concentration practice. One of the fruits of concentration practice, calming practices, shamatha vipassana, calm and insight. One of the fruits of concentration one of the fruits of working with exclusive attention to a particular object is the mind begins to calm down. Now, maybe you didn't experience that in three days, but that's the direction practice will go if you get a chance to practice more or if you continue your practice over a period of time. You'll see that concentration leads to a calming... It's a calming force in the mind when the mind starts settling down. 
and gets more anchored in the present. And believe it or not, this hall feels really a lot different than when it first started. We're starting some creeping restlessness now in the hall as we get closer to the finish line. Uh, but at the same time, uh, in general, even in that little restlessness and stuff that's going on, there's still a quiet. And that's samadhi. That's concentration. So sometimes in working with fear, as we know, we get thrown out of balance. And that oftentimes that's the case with anxiety, worry. Uh, a lot of the fears that we have, feelings of panic, uh, feelings of being overwhelmed, by situations, by conditions, by something that's going on inside you, something that's going on outside of you, something that's going on in your relationships. You know, we get that feeling of overwhelm. Well, my perspective is, at those times, sometimes the most useful thing to do is to try to develop a little bit more calm in the face of that agitated energy. You know, in other words, we're feeling out of balance. We really aren't, we're disconnected. We're leaving our bodies, you know, we're worried, we're consumed by it, we're absorbed into that energy. And so one way of establishing calm is what? Working with the breathing. You know, one thing, you know, say you're nervous and you're going into a meeting. One of the most helpful things you can do, you know, you know the meeting's coming up and you're working with somebody who's intimidating and powerful and, uh, you know, insulting or... Uh, condescending or whatever, whatever it is, and you're afraid. Well, in that case, you know, you're sitting at your desk or you're sitting in a chair. Just listen to a few breathe, breaths. You know, just bring your attention to your breaths. Or even better, feel the chair that you're sitting in. Be aware of those touch points of the cushion and the floor. As a way of coming back to the present, as a way of settling the energy, just like you would do in a sitting practice. You know, you're doing calming practices. You're not investigating the fear yet. You know, we're going to get to that in a minute. You're not trying to look at that fear or to begin to inquire and investigate into its nature. But what you're doing is you're developing calm in the face of that agitated energy. And that, these practices like working with the breathing or touch points, and the Buddha, of course, taught metta, or the practice of loving kindness, as the classic antidote to working with fear. He taught metta, the practice of loving kindness. Now, he could have taught investigation of fear, and he certainly did teach that at different times. But he was wise enough in this particular context, in this particular discourse, to suggest the practice of loving kindness because it's a concentration practice. It's a calming practice. It creates more inner expansion in the mind, and that brings the mind more into balance. And we can begin to let go of the fear and develop a little bit more confidence so, so often in working with certain kinds of tenacious fears, developing a calming practice in the face of that is extremely useful. Beginning to investigate fear more directly. Okay. Beginning to, uh, once again, when we begin to acknowledge it, and if we can develop a little bit of calm in the face of fear, beginning to investigate it. Beginning to take a look at it as an energy to begin to see how it expresses itself. Can we, be, can we learn how to open to that energy of fear? And of course we can. One way of opening to fear, one way of beginning to allow that energy to be there, to begin to investigate its nature, is to begin to observe fear as it expresses itself in the body. Okay? Once again, we've spent an enormous amount of time on this retreat focusing on physical sensations and on the body. 
And, you know, the body gets very sensitive to this practice, and so our mind gets very sensitive to our bodies, to this practice. And so why not use that ability to observe sensations in the body and use it at times when we're experiencing fear? Because most of us would agree when we're experiencing fear, it expresses itself in the body. Well, one way of beginning to look at its true nature, one way to begin to understand and open to those conditions is to begin to open to how fear is expressing itself in the body. That's a practice I've worked a lot with in working with fear, and it's extremely helpful. It allows you to go more deeply into the experience without getting caught in the content of the thought. And so you're relating to fear on a physical level. Extremely helpful practice. Another way of investigating fear, and I'm going to wrap this up in a couple of minutes, is to begin to be more mindful of your relationship to fear, how you react to it when it, when it arises. You know, in other words, you're feeling anxious, you're feeling frightened, you're feeling nervous. Okay? That's not the only thing that you're experiencing. That's part of what you're experiencing. You're also experiencing some reaction, as I said earlier, towards the fear. The aversion, the fear itself, being afraid of fear, common experience, being angry, being impatient, being judgmental, noticing how you're holding that energy of fear. And that's where you begin to put your attention. You begin to say, oh, I'm fe- you acknowledge that I'm afraid, but oh, I can see that judging mind kick in. doesn't like it telling me I'm a bad person. There's that identification with that energy. Okay? Judging, impatience, frightened, noticing the reactions to it. The power of taking this particular practice on, which is noticing and becoming more and more aware of how you react to fear, not only does it lead to more self-knowledge, more understanding of what we're doing with fear, you know, whether we're avoiding it, whether, how we're living our lives on a day-to-day basis so often depends on the kind of how we're relating to our fears. You know, our fears condition a lot of our choices and decisions. You know, when we can begin to see how we're relating to our fears, there's a clarity that comes out of that. And what comes out of that is a softening of the reaction itself. We begin to let go. We begin to transform our relationship to fear. And see, so much of the suffering around fear is our relationship or our reaction to fear. The energy itself, we've gone through it. Unpleasant, no doubt about it. But the suffering around fear is the reactivity. It's our conditioned relationship. It's all the ideas we have about it. And so if we can begin to be more aware of what our relationship to it is, if that then becomes our mindfulness practice, Instead of trying to get rid of this energy, we simply want to understand the desire to get rid of it. Can we be aware of wanting it to go away and just be aware of the wanting it to go away? And by being mindful of it, we slowly begin to decondition ourselves and we no longer are stuck in reactivity. And we're not reinforcing that reactivity and lo and behold, what happens? The reactions begin to soften We begin to become more allowing of that energy of fear. We're not reacting in the same old way because we're being mindful. We're not feeding those reactions, and those reactions begin to subside, and they begin to change. 
we're now beginning to respond to fear with mindfulness rather than reactivity. And what happens is that begins to free up the energy of fear. We begin to see it more clearly. We identify with it less. And we begin to let go of the fear. We begin to let go of the fear. And lo and behold, there's less fear that actually arises. See, as long as we have a relationship to fear that's based on judgment, that it's not a good thing, or that we're contracted around it, that fear is going to follow us everywhere. That fear is going to follow us everywhere. And not only that, the fear will become either unconscious, very difficult to deal with, or it becomes stronger. So by being mindful of our relationship to it, noticing the embarrassment, noticing the desire to hide it, Noticing the desire not to admit that you're experiencing it, the denial. Being aware of all that movement, that's the practice in working with fear. And what happens in that process is we begin not to suffer around fear. And you still can experience fear, but it passes so much more quickly. There's so much less identification with that energy. We're not so afraid of it anymore. We just meet it, it's unpleasant, but it's a stormy cloud that goes through the sky. Literally. That's exactly what it will feel like. There's a stormy cloud just moving through the sky. Strong winds, or maybe it's a really strong fear, so it's a lot of dense clouds and lightning and thunder, but it's nature. It's nature. There's much greater allowance and much greater acceptance because you're aware of the sky. You're able to hold that energy. And that's, of course, using fear as a gateway to liberation. You can actually free that energy up And there's a lot of energy inside us. A lot of that fear is all locked up inside us. And it really limits us, both physically and emotionally. When we can begin to allow for that energy of fear to be there, allow for our reactions to be there, not feed them, um, well, then we begin to taste freedom, freedom from fear. So. Got a little bit of time. Might go over a few minutes. Larry's not here, and <laughs> we can cheat. Uh, but I'd like to open things up for uh, just general questions. You could have a specific question about anything I might have said tonight, but this is really a time for questions. And there's a hand right there. Yeah. It speak loudly too. If the, that. <laughs> I got a lot to say, but <laughs> I don't know. May, may you what? Uh, it depends. Yeah.
Right, right. Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, no, that's fine. Uh, it, there's, a, yeah, it's uh, really important stuff that we're talking about. Um, yeah, I mean, to me, not to get into the politics of it all, but let's just look at, uh, let's just say that there's a lot of energy of fear just about everywhere now, you know, not just here in America, but there's a lot of fear in a lot of other places. There's a lot of fear in the Mideast, that's for sure. Um, That's why I think it's very, very important for people to begin to investigate what the nature of their fear is. Uh, Because a lot of times we experience fear, and we don't like that experience, and we don't want to experience that fear. And so we take action based on that fear. And, and I, I do think that a lot, a lot of that is going on, you know, that, that because fear is such an uncomfortable thing and it's a new experience to some people, um, that there's a lot of reactivity towards that. And then and people also get very angry about having to experience fear um, and, want, and are focused on other objects as the cause of that fear, focused on those conditions and want to get rid of those conditions or change them. And, you know, I think that, that that leads, I think, to a lot of unskillful actions uh, on people's part, that a lot of times aggression in general, underneath aggression, is the energy of fear. Um, so to me, I think it's very important to both acknowledge the fear but not get caught by it, not by, get caught by that energy of fear. And if you have reactions like anger or impatience or, all this, or more fear or whatever those are, it's very important to work with them and to talk about them, and to bring them out to the surface um, so that the choices we make are not based on fear or reactivity, but more on wisdom and skillful action and non-harm. But what I don't uh, can you be clear about your question? Well, I, I noticed that yeah, the planning. The planning right, um, and you see that that's that fear is fueling that. Okay. Yeah. No. And a lot of times we are experiencing fear, and we don't know what we're afraid of. And and again, that's what I'm saying is that um, we jump to the planning mode. In other words, there's an experience, maybe an experience of anxiety or fear, and then we, you know, or oftentimes we wake up and we're planning something, okay? And what we've missed often in that planning is that there's some anxiety underneath that. 
And oftentimes it's the anxiety of the unknown. And so we make our plans in order to reassure ourselves, you know, in order, so that we don't experience that fear. You know, and, and just, you know, if you just look at, uh, I don't know, you know, planning can be very reassuring, let's put it that way. You know, and how come? You know, because plans don't unfold. You know, plans are unpredictable, right? But somehow they keep reassuring us. And so we can see that we construct them a lot of times. They're reassuring us. They're, they're uh, a movement away from our fear. Uh, oftentimes even a movement away from what's happening now. You know, when you're feeling really miserable, you know, you're more than likely going to click into planning mode. And what you're planning for the next moment, you're probably not planning something bad, right? You're planning for something that's better than the present moment, right? And so much of planning is just is that. It's the next moment is going to be better, you know, or things are going to be good if I can make this plan and make it happen. And so planning really often is a movement away from that anxiety fear, and we just simply miss that fear a lot of times. It's a lot of it's unconscious. And as we get to acknowledge planning more, you know, we just notice that planning's there, after a while we might start noticing, and this, after a while you will start noticing, what's underneath the planning quite often. And that's, and that's what's wonderful about practice is that if you pay attention to a mind state like anger, you know, or fear, and if you just open to it over and over again, quite often what you discover is another emotion or state of mind that's on a deeper level that's underneath that. Like I said, sometimes we can be aware that we're really angry or feeling really impatient. I've seen that a lot. You know, when I'm feeling really impatient, if I settle down and quiet down and watch that impatience, oftentimes, you know, if I settle, I'm allowing, I'm just saying, oh, feel this impatience, what I'll feel is anxiety, lack of control, you know, a dissatisfaction, uh, a frustration. It, a, a, lot, a lot of fear can be underneath all that. And so, you know, same with the planning mind that it often feeds. Uh, and, I, and I do think a lot of it can be a fear of the unknown, but it might be a fear of something else. It might be a fear of loneliness. You know, plans have a lot of different functions. You know, a lot of different functions. But a, a lot of the... We do have to plan. There's no doubt about that. I think that came up in the, one of my groups that... You know, is planning okay? Well, of course planning is okay. You know, you have to plan, right? Um, but it's, it's a question of what's underneath the planning. Is it compulsive? Are we always planning in order to get away from ourselves? Are we always planning to get away from the present moment? And so often it's such a habit. It's just a habit. Planning, 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 planning. You know, it's, so much of it is a waste of time. But it's, it, it, it really, it's just a movement away from settling in to something else. And, and often what we're settling into is something that's uncomfortable. And that's what I think you have to kind of look at a little bit, is notice the planning, but then see if you can begin to silently inquire a little bit more into that and see if there's an energy that, of discomfort that's underneath that. And feel that discomfort. In some ways, get more comfortable with that discomfort, and you'll see what it is. You'll get to recognize it eventually. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I imagine if I allow myself to fully see the fear 
Yeah. Yeah. Right. It is. Yeah. And Right. Right. And uh, it seems to me you have a couple of different choices. It's one you can try not to feel it. Okay? Try not to feel the fear. That I don't think works too well though. Because takes the form of tension, and it's also extremely limiting. You know, when we try to push away an experience, it doesn't really work. It creates more suffering. Okay? But, if opening to something creates too much anxiety, or is overwhelming, that's where the piece of wisdom comes in. It might not be that skillful to go into that feeling at that particular moment, in, the present, in that present moment. But it might be just recognizing, it might be more helpful to say, okay, I feel this tension and I can feel that there's some fear there. Is there a way, instead of moving away from it and not acknowledging or or investigating it at all, is there a way of cultivating a little bit more calm within myself? Because fear is kind of disconnecting. There's a separation in fear. Is there a way of coming into the present and developing a little bit more calm within the present moment itself? And there is. Like I said, going into your touch points, if you feel that you're nervous or you feel that there's some tension in the body because you're around somebody, you know, settle into the chair. Another practice that I do a lot, and I think this is very useful in working with fear, is to simply try to relax your body. You know, if you're sitting and you're with a group of people and you feel some tension and you suspect that it's fear, see if you can relax your arms. One of the best places to work with in terms of relaxing the body when you're feeling frightened or you're interacting with people and you feel that tension Try to relax your eyes. Try to relax. Even that is a practice in general is a good practice when you're around people. Practice simply relaxing and softening your eyes. You'd be really, you can do it too. I mean, you know, you, if you were sitting and I said relax your eyes, you could do it some. Okay. Try doing it when you're around people. It's a very powerful thing to do because we tend to tighten the eyes. Because there is some fear around people a lot. And by softening the eyes, the mind starts going along with it. You know, it's very interesting. But simply by softening the eyes, even try it now. You know, just try relaxing and softening the eyes. Not holding them so tightly. Just let them go. Eyes are open. What happens for me is there's a softening quality to the mind when I do that. You know, I mean, I practice doing it, but still, you know, the mind begins to soften and it moves more into a receptive mode you know, instead of this kind of mode. And it's quite calming. It's quite centering. So I would work with it more on a conscious level rather than, you know, okay, so you're afraid that it's going to be like stripping things away and all that. Okay, but, you know, you've got to go there eventually, but you might not be able to go there now. But you still want to work with things as they are. You don't want to be uh, 
buying into your conditioning or your fear of stripping things away and being naked. A lot of that fear, a lot of our fears are based on what we imagine that we're going to experience. It's not actually the experience itself. You know, people who are really afraid, I remember when I first started teaching, I was afraid of speaking in groups. You know? And then I started doing it, and I saw that it was so different than what I imagined it to be. And it wasn't nearly as bad. And I'd been carrying this fear all my life. And by, by doing it, I was forced to do it, changing conditions. I had to deal with these conditions. But by doing that and working with that energy and learning how to be more calm in it, you know, you begin to see that what we imagine so often is a projection of the future, especially around social fears. You know, it's a projection, and it's not as bad if you were more open around those folks. Let's take the negative, strip naked, okay, away, and just say you were more open and less positioned with those folks. My guess is it wouldn't be terrible. It wouldn't be terrible, but we might think it would be. One more. Way back there. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Right. <laughs> to do what? Interesting. Yeah, I, and I, I think that's extremely interesting is when you look at the consumer culture. Um, it's a tremendous reinforcer of fear. It, it, cre- it creates fear, okay? Like you're incomplete unless you own something. Uh, oh God, I was just thinking of one horrible commercial, but I won't go into it. <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was such a twist on, you know, Making good values make you look like a real, you know, uh, very quickly. <laughs> I mean, one minute. This, I mean, it just shows you how absurd things are sometimes. This fellow is working as a pizza delivery person. And two people go by in two different red cars, the brand-new shiny shark-type cars. And they beep at the kid. And he's in his little junk box of a car, if I remember right. And they're making fun of him, kind of, and he's cool. They're all cool, and he's just this little kind of nerdy guy um, who's got a job. And the people with the red cars are the good guys in this commercial, believe it or not. And this little guy who's got a job and doesn't have a lot of money is the bad guy. And then the commercial ends with this guy coming to a door, knocking on the door with the two pizzas, and the same guys, the same people, open the door, and there's this big party that everybody's having a great time at. And everybody just stops suddenly and looks at this guy with total pity. They're pitying this guy about the fact that he has to work 
for a living and that he doesn't have a lot of money and he doesn't drive a fancy car. And I'm thinking, is this what we grew up with? You know, are these the kind of messages we got? Is that, you know, if you don't have a lot of money in a shiny car, you're a loser? I mean, that's it. And so we build up fears around that. That's our conditioning. Those are the conditions that have given, you know, birth to a lot of fears and anxieties. And the solution is to make money and buy a car. You know, it's to have that self, you know, it's to own that thing that's going to make you fit in and not uh, feel self-conscious or or be frightened. So I do think the advertising industry has a lot to do with why we're all so scared about, especially social fears. You know, you get terrified, you get the wrong kind of sweater or, you know, the wrong kind of shirt or you're out of style or, you know, and style is so empty, constantly changes, right? Uh, there's nothing substan- you know, substantially true in what is correct around style, right? It's extremely subjective. Um, but we can develop a lot of fears even around those kinds of things. And to me, it show- you know, I laugh at it because it's empty, but it's also very intense when you're lost in it. That's the point. You know, if you're lost in fear, it's extremely painful and extremely limiting. But if you can see it for what it is, just this energy that arises under certain conditions and passes away. And when it arises, we often react to it in a negative way, contracted way. If we can begin to see that, it's tremendously liberating because then we don't have to run away from fear and we don't have to buy it. And then you notice people trying to play on it and you don't get sucked in. You think it's ridiculous. Why go there? That's really what you end up saying.